And he goes, Pete's out of the jet. So now we're jumping up and down. We know he's alive. We have no idea, you know, if he's hurt or whatever, but he's out of the jet. Half an hour later, no shit, he comes back in this black suburban. They drop him off. He's got a shot of Jack Daniels because it's a tradition. If you survive a, a wreck at, at Reno, you drink a shot of Jack Daniels. Takes the shot, gives his girlfriend a big hug, comes and gives me a hug. He's like, I'm okay, but our jet's fucked. <laughs> Corey, I appreciate you coming today. It's definitely not something that you need to do, and it kind of shows the character you are. Absolutely. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, I kind of want to go into a few things. We have got, the, for the listeners out there, I just want to let them know um, what you, who you are and the type of person you are and, sure. and some of the achievements that you've had. Um, you've, you've, the, you've been the recipient for the 2015 uh, 40 Under 40. Yeah, gosh, that was a while ago. 2015, yeah. yeah. And then uh, the Inc. 5000, fastest growing private companies in America. So we just uh, were awarded for the second year in a row. Yeah, we're, we've got, uh, we're really excited. The team's doing a really good job, and we've experienced a ton of growth, and so it, we, we just found out like three weeks ago. Awesome. And then also you've got the uh, Mountain West 100. Yeah, we also were awarded for the second year in a row the Mountain West 100. Um, last year we took like 27th place. We're not sure exactly what place we took this year. We'll find out. Uh, coming up in about two weeks, they've got their big lunch, and we'll find out. Where do you think you're at? I don't know. There's been some companies with some awesome growth. So if we're anywhere in the top 50, I'll be super happy. Yeah. And so for the listeners out there, you are currently right now the president for CB SkyShare. Actually, the CEO. The CEO. Founder and CEO, yeah. Okay. And that is going to be changing to just SkyShare coming the first of the year. We are. We're going through. This will be our second rebrand. About five years ago when we came up with the idea of the shared ownership program, we changed the name to CB SkyShare from CB Aviation. And now we're going to be rebranding just to SkyShare. Keep it a little bit more simple. Was CB Aviation, was that just airplane brokerage? Correct. Yeah, I started the company about 13 years ago, and we are just buying and selling airplanes. So generally representing buyers and sellers, um, and just like a real estate broker, but um, our house has had wings and all over the world. And um, then that, that grew, and we uh, bought our first FBO um, in Ogden, Utah, and that was about eight years ago. And then, geez, about five years ago, we came up with the idea of the – the, again, the, the shared platform, the shared ownership platform. And so that's where the name, the Sky Share, Sharing the Sky came from. So Okay. And I guess my team finally talked me into uh, dropping my ego and getting my initials off the name of the company. So <laughs> that's why just going Sky Share in yeah. January. Yeah, that's so, the plan. And then CB Sky Share, currently, you guys do, um, you have a Sky Share program. You have private charters, and then you have ownership on planes? Yeah. So basically anything in the private jet space that we can um, help with. Uh, so uh, a lot of people have asked me, you know, what is the best way to fly or how, are, how can you fly privately? And there's really three different ways. And the first is like just chartering an airplane, renting an airplane. If you wanted to get a bunch of guys and go to Vegas for a weekend, we can do that. Um, just the one-off charters. Then the other way, if you're going to be flying for more than like once a month um, is really when it makes sense for the economics makes sense to do something more than just regular charter. And the next step would be like a fractional ownership or a shared ownership um, where you buy a portion of one airplane and then you have guaranteed availability to different models of airplanes. So we we have that shared ownership uh, platform. And then we also help people buy and sell airplanes and then help manage their airplanes um, as well as if they want to charter it out when they are not flying it and kind of uh, reduce their overall costs. So really everything in the private jet space we we help with. We also have a couple FBOs, um, one in Ogden, Utah, and one in the Bay Area. And then uh, plane-wise, you've got uh, Pilatus's. CJ2 and Excel, and then you've got the G200s, right? Right, yeah. So, and that's for our um, the fractional side, the shared ownership side. Yeah. That we we have a fleet. We've got, I believe, nine PC12s now. Um, a bunch of CJ2s. We just bought our first um, Citation Excel, which is a midsize jet, and then a few of the Goldstream G200s. And next year, uh, we're excited. We're going to get into the heavy jet market, so we're going to be introducing the Goldstream G450 into the fractional side, too. And then everything in aviation is like, what's your mission? It is. So plane-wise, different sizes and everything like that, with you, what you guys have to offer, what is best for short, what's best for mid? 
Yeah, good question. And and that's what really, um, when you're looking down trying to decide what airplane should I buy, it makes it very difficult because just like you said, every mission's different depending on how far, how many people, runway length, all those are considerations. And um, so when I'm consulting with a with a company or, or a specific person, I try and find one airplane that'll do 80% of the missions. And if we can find one airplane that does 80% of the missions, that's like a huge win, like a unicorn. Um, and it's very difficult to do. And what's cool about like our shared ownership side is you can, once you're an owner in the program, you have the option. One day you could take the Pilatus if you wanted to go, you know, put eight people in, go down to Page, Arizona, go to Lake Powell, something like that. Go even to really short runways. Um, or if you're going to Texas and there's four of you, that's where the Citation CJ2 really excels. Uh, um, it's fast, awesome little jet. And, and up to the Gulfstream, if you want to go to Hawaii, you can put put your family in it and, and make it all the way. What's the what's the nautical miles to Hawaii? Ah, uh, gosh, I think it's around twenty seven hundred nautical miles, something like that. Is it? Yeah. You ever done any long distance in a small plane? So I have, long time ago. Um, I did this TV show called Dangerous Flights. Um, gosh, this had been about ten years ago, and I did it with Discovery Channel of Canada, and it was really cool. It was about um, the discovery was following myself and the company as I sold and delivered these small airplanes and we deliver them all over the world. So I had a little Cessna that I flew all the way to Poland. We took out the back seats, put a big fuel tank in the back and then did like 10 stops to get over the North Atlantic from like Canada to Greenland, to Iceland, to Scotland. Uh, it was, it was pretty fun. So for the three years we were filming, it's pretty fortunate. I like flew to 32 different countries and, um, almost died a couple of times, but luckily that's why it's called dangerous flights. I don't think I'll ever fly a single engine piston over the ocean again. I've checked that mark, uh, or checked that box rather, but it was a, it was a good time. So yeah, I've been lucky. I've traveled, flown all over the world. How did you get into, like, how did your career started? Um, I actually spent about 15 years right after high school in the car business, started selling cars, and um, my ultimate goal was to become a pilot, but um, in the car business, I was good at it, started making a lot of money, and so at that point in time, I was 18, 19 years old, and didn't really want to take a huge pay cut and go spend $100,000 in um, private pilot's lessons to go work for SkyWest at a third that, that I was making, and so... I decided I was just going to stay in the car business and then work really hard. And I promoted, I was promoted very quickly in that, in that industry and then bought my own airplane, just got my own private pilot's license and ended up about 15 years in the industry and ended up ultimately owning a couple different car dealerships, uh, Ford dealership. I was the minority owner of the Ford dealership at one point in time and then a couple used car dealerships and then finally decided like the month's not all about the money. Like I want to be happy and I want to follow my passion. And my passion was always in the airplanes. Um, even when I was in the car industry, I was buying and flipping airplanes for fun, bought a couple off eBay, some crazy stories there. Um, and then said, you know what, in 09, I'm just going to sell the car dealerships back to my partners and um, started CB Aviation back then in one like one little office at the Ogden Airport and had no idea what the hell I was doing and just started <laughs> cold cal cold calling aircraft owners and and then that uh, kind of kicked it off so did you did you have somebody helping you with that in the beginning no no I did it all myself there was um, my buddy that was working with me in the car industry his name was Claire came with me from the car dealership and worked with me for a few years but really had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I just took what I thought I knew and learned from the car business and, and understood it was just another, you know, we're just selling an object. And, and so um, learned as much as I could, stayed up all night researching on online and learning airplanes and and then really just started cold. I, I bought a list of aircraft owners and started cold calling them and talked a few into letting me list their airplane. And, and then it turned to a few more, a few more, a few more. And um, got it going. Was that nerve-wracking? Oh, yeah. Like, um, I had no idea if it was going to work or how it was going to work. And I, I, let me let me rephrase that. I knew it was going to work. I believed it was going to work, but I had no idea how it was going to work. Yeah. I didn't know I didn't know the how, um, but I believed in myself, and I believed that, that I could make it work. I just needed to figure out how. Yeah. And at that point, I, I, I listened to some of the other podcasts and stuff like that you've been on. Um, I think it, you said at that point you did not want to go back or, or return yeah. back to car dealers. 
Yeah, there's the old story of the burning of the ships, yep. you know, and I don't know that I, I don't want to like mess up that story and tell it incorrectly, but the the moral of the story was they were going into war and and they showed up by ship, and so the the commander um, said burn the ships, so they had only one choice was to win, and so. I actually took my car salesman license and, and had a big cigar, and I burnt it when I was skiing up at Snow Basin, got a picture of it, and I was like, I'm never going back. So, And the car industry is great. I'm not taking anything away from it. It's been great to my family and my friends and anything like that. But I was just at a point in my life that I wanted to, I wanted to do what I love. It was worth it to me to take a step back in my income um, and my lifestyle to, to actually want to go to work. And be do something I'm passionate about. That's awesome. That's awesome. What uh, what was the first plane you bought? So back then, I really wasn't inventorying any airplanes. I was just representing this uh, the owner. And so the very first airplane I sold was a old Cessna 310, and sold it to a guy in Tanzania, Africa, actually. The 310. Yeah, and it was like a forty or fifty thousand dollar airplane back then. And then the second one was um, from a doctor here in Utah, and it was a big turboprop, a Merlin III. Um, yeah, again, had no idea what I was doing. Like, just try to find a way to make myself and my company unique from the rest of the competitors. And so nobody back then was doing any video yeah. um, as a way of marketing the airplane. It was all just a bunch of five or six shitty pictures that they put online. And so that was kind of my unique of what made us different is is we were going to do a really really cool video tutorial on the airplane and put it to music and have some highlights and and whatnot so that that's what kind of got us going and that worked out well it did i mean it, it gave me at least something different to talk about um and and the the owners the buyers really liked it I actually believe it helped our sales um tremendously because people felt like they knew more what they were buying versus the other airplane that they were comparing to that there was only a couple pictures. YouTube is full of it now. Yeah. Oh, and almost all the big brokering houses do it, and they do a great job of it. But, yeah, yeah we were the first ones back then. That's awesome. I wa I've watched a ton of YouTube videos going through all the airplanes and stuff yeah. like that. So those are pretty fun. Um, how So how did, wh how did you get your license? How did you learn? Um, I just called a little private pilot school out at the West Jordan Airport and just showed up and did a discovery flight. And then I was just paying, you know, I was selling cars at that point in time, like I said, and I just paid for my each lesson I went to. It took me about six months. Just um, using their trainer plane? Exactly. Renting little Cessna 152s. Is that what it was? So I flew a 152 up until I started my cross countries, and then I went to a Cessna 172. And then got my private pilot's license in that. And then um, quickly after that, I bought a, an ownership share in a Cessna Turbo T10. So that was awesome. How'd that work out? How, the, how does that ownership share work out? So there's lots of different ways to, to structure it. But for us, it was there was four other guys and myself, and we just um, each pitched in. You know, um, you own a share of the airplane, and then we divide up. The maintenance costs equally, and then we just pay for our own expenses. Have you ever financed a plane? Sure. Yeah. Because that's, that, that's kind of a pain in the ass Yeah. if you don't know where to go. Yeah. It's, there's some banks that really specialize in that, so I'd recommend, you know, checking into – and it also – each bank depends on how expensive the aircraft is. So yeah. a $200,000 plane, that bank's going to be much different than a $10 million, you know, business jet. But – but the banks is where it's at. Yeah, if you're going to finance it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What banks is it? Um, so there's there's actually a bunch of different ones. Like we, we use First Source Bank yeah. is who we use on the majority of our business jets that we're buying and selling. And but there's a couple other good ones. We've used Bank of Utah actually. They I'm do. asking for a friend. Yeah. Let's we hook you up. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready to buy your airplane, Kate? I I want to be. Let's I, do I'm it. Itching. I'm itching. I, I uh, trained in a 160 that was like a 180 engine in it. A oh, Piper cool. 180. Yeah. Yeah, Cherokee. So Hershey bar wings. Yeah. So I have, I own a little um, Piper Warrior. So a 160, basically, what you're talking about, that is a company plane. So one of the benefits of anybody that works for my organization is they can go fly the plane for free. They just put gas in it. And so we've got a lot of our guys that are pumping gas into the airplanes at the FBOs. They're, they're aspiring pilots, and so they get to just go 
cruise around in the little piper. They already have their license, or are they just a lot of them. It as yeah. Well, well we we don't do any training in it, so it's guys that already have their license, yeah. but just trying to build time because that's the biggest thing as a young pilot is is you need to build time in the airplane before you can go and look to get hired as a commercial pilot. And is that uh, is insurance whether it's a trainer or what you guys have got going on? Is it different? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's different insurance companies that will specialize in the different type of flying like the business jet underwriters are generally different than the um, general aviation pipers and cessnas and whatnot okay how when did you get the bug man for as far back as i can remember like i thought i always wanted to be a pilot um and and the cool part with where i'm at now is i get the best of both worlds because being in the, the car industry for a long time and ultimately owning, you know, the car dealerships, I, I really got the bug of the business side and, and, and growing people and managing uh, the company and trying to grow a business. And so now today I've, I've got the, I mean, if I were to sit down on a piece of paper and write my dream job, that's what I do every single day because yeah. I get to fly the airplanes. Um, probably my most favorite part of my, my position right now is, when someone's looking to buy into our SkyShare program, to the to the shared ownership program, we'll generally do a demo flight. And so I'll have the, the prospective buyer, which is generally an entrepreneur, C-level executive, very wealthy person, sit next to me. And I, they get experienced like sitting in the cockpit and hearing me talk to ATC as we go on the demo flight. And I get to know them and get to learn about their family and their business and their success and their trials. And so it's pretty cool. I guess scratch the itch of flying and, and, and working really hard to, to grow the company at the same time. So on those demo flights, it's usually, if it's just two of you or something, you'll usually put them in the co-pilot. Yeah. If it's, um, on the bigger jets, we always run two pilots, yeah. but if it's like in the Pilatus, um, we, we have the option to put them up in the front seat. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, Along with being a savvy businessman, you're obviously you're also an actor, right? Uh, I don't ish, know about that. <laughs> I mean, there was the Dangerous Flights TV show that we were talking about earlier back in the day. Yeah. Um, that what that was fun. You yeah. know, I don't I don't consider myself an actor. I have any um, drive to be an actor? But it was it was a good time. But anybody watch, so YouTube is where anybody can see that. Yeah, I think it's still on there. Um, you, you must be really, really bored and it have to be late at night where you can't sleep to be worth it Worth it to watch it. Dude, like I watched it. That was, because <laughs> then it was Airplane Repo as well, wasn't it? Well, I was on one episode of Airplane Repo. Yeah. Where they called us and they were, they were to, um, trying to repossess a Grumman Albatross, big flying boat, so... That was that was fun. That's the fun flying, just flying that airplane. Was it? What's the most interesting airplane you've ever flown? That would definitely be one of them. So Grumman Albatross is just a massive 1952 flying boat, basically. Oh, um, you got that up. Put up that Gremlin Albatross. And Put so, one of my best friends in the entire world who helped me a lot in business, unfortunately passed away from cancer a couple of years ago, but um, he actually gave me a loan to, to help buy the first FBO. Um, he was an amazing guy, but I helped him and managed all his airplanes, and um, he was a pretty funny guy where we had a really nice jet and a smaller airplane, and he saw me on a wing of another Grumman Albatross. We're floating in Lake Powell and jumping off the wing and whatnot, and he called me, and he was a single kind of playboy, and he's like, what plane are you on? I'm like, oh, my God, it's this beautiful, like, Grumman Albatross. We're in the middle of Lake Powell. And he asked me, well, how many girls can we put on it? So <laughs> I was like, well, we can put probably like 15 or 16. He's like, sell the jet. Let's go get an albatross. So we went and bought this old Grumman albatross, and we restored it and, and just made it just such a cool flying machine. But we would put 15, 16 people in it at Ogden and go right down and land in Lake Powell next to the houseboat. I mean, some of the funnest, most amazing trips we've had. That's a lot of people. Yeah. We've had that plane and I still have it. I don't know. We're, we need to get it back flying. So that's what it looks like right there. Yeah. That thing's rad. And I'm sure there's a picture of ours on there somewhere. But I would imagine there's not too many of them. Either one on your Instagram? There may be. Um, or on Facebook maybe a long time ago. We haven't had it in the air for like three years. Mm -hmm. When he got sick, we just kind of put it away. Um, but that's one of my goals. I want to get that big grill up and flying again. Um, Dude, that's crazy. We had it on Tahoe. We've had it on. He had a big house up in McCall, Idaho, so we'd land up there. 
I got special permission one day to land at Pineview. That was cool. That was a pretty pretty crazy. How'd you get that permission? I had to call like 15 different park rangers and finally got a hold of the right person that could give us permission. So (laughs) that's crazy, dude. That's a there can't be that many of those planes around. I I think there's nine flying right now. Serious? Yeah. So there's only a few of them that are alive and still kicking. Worth some good money? Um, they're, they're not terribly expensive to buy. I mean, everything's relative, right? That's probably nothing compared to a multimillion dollar jet. Um, you can buy a nice one for like 300,000, but then just to keep them going, like the maintenance on those old girls are a lot. So, and I, like a lot of people that look to buy planes and stuff, I don't think that they realize that, um, that annual and, and everything, the maintenance and stuff like that is what costs a ton of money on them. Yeah, absolutely. You're exactly right. Like buying the airplane is just the, the cheap part of it. It's yep. the maintenance and the hangar insurance and FA compliance and all the other stuff that goes along with it. And if you're hiring pilots, that plus their training. So it's definitely an expensive hobby, but it changes your life. Like when you, if you're at a point where you, can afford to do it and you can not have to drive down to the airport get there two hours early go through tsa go through the whole path down and then be in the back of an airplane with 300 other people versus where you can literally drive up to the airplane the pilot has the door down you walk on and you're on the you're like in the air in 10 minutes it's and then you the other thing that's really cool about flying private is the U.S., like in the U.S., the airlines fly to about 500 airplane airports, sorry. Um, so there's 500 different airports that the commercial airlines would go to. Flying private, there's about 5,500. Um, so we can, like Southern California is a great example. There's hundreds of airports in Southern California, so you don't have to go into LAX or John Wayne. We can get you into um, the city where your meetings at are very close and avoid all the congestion and everything like that. And then like altitude wise for commercial planes, are they usually around like 35? Yeah. Um, just depending on what type of plane, but like the 737 is generally in the low thirties and some of the smaller ones are in the, in the low forties, but like our CJ and Goldstream are generally above them. Yeah. Um, like our little CJ two will fly 45,000 feet. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Little, little faster. Uh, the some of them like the Gulfstream is and the CJ is a little bit slower. Okay, yeah. see, I uh, I was on a Challenger 350 the other day. Awesome airplane, badass. Yeah, badass. That's a sexy bird. Yeah, felt like a stud walking up, and you, you got like Maverick, the Maverick guys <laughs> getting in a little teeny you know jet, just crouching down, getting into it, like five, six, seven of them piling up. Yeah, and then you know you walk into that 350, and it's just full like six foot something door opening, and where'd you go? Uh, went to California. Oh, cool. All. Yeah. Very cool. Yep. So got lucky with that flight to be able to take that and go there. So nice. That was an awesome, awesome bird. See, you've, you've tasted it. Oh, it's hard dude. to go back now. It's hard to go back. It's way hard to go back. So that's why we need to get you into Skyshare. And that was why I reached out to you and started <laughs> talking to you about it and everything. So the, that, the, the goal, everybody's got their vision board and their goals and stuff like that. And well, you should. Not everybody does. That is true. Everybody better have it. They should. Right. So, but. Definitely my vision board is, is in outer space a little yeah. bit with the stuff that I have on it. So, Which you do a lot of what's on my vision board. All right. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. Well, I'm back to the vision boards. Like I think that's what makes the people that are actually achieving it different from the people that are just dreaming about it. Like yeah. you have to, you do have to have a vision board. You do have to have goals. Like you have to have that stuff written down and visualize it and it be able to be able to be able to look at it like on your vision board or it's just never going to happen dude the time will just fly by yeah and 40 years years will pass and you didn't even do anything about it thing i started doing a couple years ago which was pretty impactful for me is i took my goals and i broke it down by like my family goals my spiritual goals my um, business goals and my um, personal goals and then i laminated and i put it in my shower so every single day like i'm forced to look at it um and then i this year i I did also, um, I have pictures of the, f- the future airplanes that we want in the program, and I have them in front of the treadmill. So, like, while I'm running, I'm just, like, constantly staring at them. What planes do you want? I want to, with, like I said earlier, I want to go to the G450. Yeah. Um, the, I want to take our shared ownership program to the next level where we have an airplane with worldwide capability and here to Europe, big bad boy. So that's the goal. Any rotary? thoughts or anything like that i don't think so but you never say never yeah um right now our our sweet spot is in the 
the private jet space um, plus the Pilatus. And so we'll see. What are some of your goals? Gosh, I've got lots of goals. Um, I do want to finish and get my helicopter rating. Yeah. So about eight, nine years ago, I was getting, I was doing my, the helicopter lessons and then just stopped right before I was almost finished. We bought a new airplane. I started flying that and then life got in the way. And so next year, that is one of the goals uh, is definitely do that. And then the, we always have like, um, you know, some, some personal goals, like just little stuff. How many times I exercise, like, um, I want to take my mom on a date once a month, like stuff like that. And then, um, when it comes to business sizes, it's I have revenue goals and also employee goals. And so in our business, we're very specific in our goals on that side. Were you born and raised in Utah? I was. Yeah. Were you? Is your, mo- is your mom here? Your yep. Parents? My my dad passed from cancer, unfortunately, about 10 years ago. My mom lives here in uh, just West Jordan. So you're able to do that date? Yeah. We did it last night. My boy turned 17, and so we, we all went out to dinner. So I checked that off as the date. How many kids do you have? I have two. So Jackson, t- again, turned 17. He lives with me. And um, my daughter, cute little Brenna, she's 14 years old. She lives with her mom? She does, yeah. Does she? I have her part-time. So really, really fun, good kids. Um, it's amazing how fast they grow up, though. It's, like, shocking to think that Jackson will be 18 in a year from now and potentially moving out that is crazy i've got four under 12 that's a busy household it is a busy household yeah and like sports yeah i I, i'm it we get through football or we're partially the way through football and i'll be coming home from work and uh bless my wife she freaking does so much but i'll end up calling her up and i'll be like where yeah and she's like i've met basketball i'm like Oh, my God. <laughs> she puts them in, like, every sport, <laughs> guitar, horseback riding. I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's she, awesome. She does so much. That's good for the yeah, kids, though. she does so much. It's wild. So Brenna joined the um, cross-country mountain bike racing team. So it was the first year doing that. She's liking that. And she has been a comp cheerleader for the last seven years. So we've traveled all over the country with her and her cheerleading. And then Jackson's just a phenomenal snow skier. So he's... I had to admit to him in front of all his friends that he finally is better than his dad. So that skiing? Yeah. He's he's he'd landed his first backflip and three sixties everywhere. It's fun to watch him. Serious. So that and surfing, like we love surfing behind the boat all summer long. Yeah. So do you did you used to race motorcycles? Yeah, just at an amateur level. Yeah. Um around here? Long time ago when I was in high school. So I was doing motocross growing up. Um and then I did a little street bike racing. And when I got married, I sold the race bikes and then now just love riding Harleys and dirt bikes this year. Or sorry, not this year. Tomorrow we're going out to Sand Dunes to go play on the side-by-sides and the dirt bikes. That's awesome. Yeah. So racing motocross or anything like that, that was just, was that just a little short stint? It was, it was just fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely loved it. Um, but I was novice class and it's just a good time. I raced for about four years. Oh, did you? Yeah, it was a, it was a huge part of my life. Where so were you racing? It was it was uh, the circuit was USRA, okay, yeah. and then Wild West. Yeah. So there was two different circuits, and they raced every other weekend, and uh, so we were gone, gone every week. I actually have my 450 in the back of my truck in your parking lot. Do you? Yeah. Do you, what year is it? Uh, 2021. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. I I have the last bike I got was a it's a 2009. Oh. Okay. Yeah, YZ 450. So. I love the YZs. Just before the fuel yeah. injected, though. Oh, the so. electric starts the best. Yeah. <laughs> what have you? Are you on a Yamaha then? Yep. Hell yeah, that's the only way to go. Yeah. That's the only way to go. Anybody riding Hondas, Suzukis, <laughs> Cowies? You guys are missing uh, no, out. No, that that KTM three hundred is pretty sick. The KTM's, yeah, that's two stroke though, isn't it? It is. Yeah. But my buddies that have it just love it. So. See, my whole racing and everything for me was all two stroke. Okay. So um, I stopped racing. It was one. I was on one twenty fives. And then I gave it, it was probably four years goes by, and then I buy a 450. Totally different animal. Yeah. Totally different animal. They're so much fun. Yeah. They, yeah, they just rip. You're not riding anymore? I don't. Kind of the same thing. Uh, business. Yeah. Work. It's kind of funny. You, you, you think you're going to have more time when you start a company. No. Not at all. Yeah. No. That's why I got to do a fun one, like airplanes and well, stuff. You've got your fun coming. You're building cool stuff. We're working on it. Yeah, we got some good stuff coming up. So, um, what have you guys got coming up? 
Oh, geez. Um, within the business, you mean? Yeah. So we're, you know, it's been just a wild ride the last four years, well, almost five years. We've, we've doubled an employee count and revenue almost every year and just had this amazing growth. And so right now we're really just focusing on, on building the processes. So I'm not really answering your question, but what do we have looking forward to? Like we're tr trying to just get everything a lot tighter, try yeah. to, you know, the only way that we can really scale this company to the way where we want it to go is to be able to have a playbook for every single position. So that's what we've been working on really diligently this year is creating the processes, making sure that people are following them, building the team. And it's like that what that, uh, you know, the book good to great says is get the people on the bus and put them in the right seat. So, yeah. Um, I'm very, very fortunate. We've got an, an exceptionally smart um, management team that that has enabled us to grow. And so we're, we're f working on that and then just want to sell more airplanes and sell more people into the SkyShare program. And there's um, we're sitting in a good place right now, especially here in Utah, where the economy is just, you know, it'll be interesting over the next 18 months. There's a lot of people moving to Utah with Silicon Slopes and everything like that that um, we just want to help everybody. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever retire? I don't know. I'd be bored. I'd be bored as hell. So, so many people ask me, what's your exit plan? And I don't have an exit plan right now. That like, was, was going to be my question is, what's your exit plan? <sighs> what are you thinking? I don't – neither of my kids seem to have the bug, and that could change tomorrow. You never know. But um, – I, did, I really enjoy the journey. You know, I don't think there's an ultimate destination for me. There's not a revenue or a dollar amount or a net worth amount or a size of the company. For me personally, I just, um, I'm enjoying like the journey of building and flying and flying newer and funner airplanes. We just, as today, we picked up a brand new airplane from the factory for one of our clients and went through that delivery experience. So stuff like that. So kind of going on a tangent there, but I mean, I would love to, um, you know, eventually maybe not work as many hours as I'm working, you know, per week. But if it got to a point that I was still sitting in a, like a board position, but still watch the baby grow. Yeah. So. That'd be a good spot. Yeah. I think very few people are in your position of doing what they actually love. I think a lot of people are in a spot that are just grinding and, you know what I mean? Not yeah. kind of like what you were talking about with a car dealership you were waking up and you didn't really want to go into work. Yeah. I tell my kids, you know, I said, just do what you love. And if you work really hard on it, if you're passionate about it, the money will follow. And, and I can tell you, I deal with multimillionaires every single day and there's some that are extremely happy and there's a lot of them that, that are miserable. You know, money does not buy happiness. I mean, it may buy the boat that goes behind the truck and I agree all that is happy, but you know, happiness comes within and it's, um, I also believe that, that money only makes you more of what you already are. If you're a good person, if you're a happy person, more money is only going to make you a better person and even happier. And if you're a miserable piece of shit and you're not a good person, then, <laughs> then it, you, those are the unhappy rich people that you see. So, yeah, back to what you're saying. Like, f if you can find something you're passionate about, find yeah. something you really care about, like make your job not turn into a job, make it turn it into something you're – you're really passionate about or yeah. or change industries go find something you are i'd much rather be happy than rich i think if, yeah um i think i on the podcast you said that you'd you'd much rather give up some money to be happy yeah so and again if you work hard enough and you're and you have a plan and you work your plan i don't care what industry it is you can make money like yeah. it doesn't matter what you want to do it honestly doesn't yeah so if you want to be a skier, like be the best at it and you can make money. Yeah. Like you were saying, kind of going back to that, uh, with your company right now, you're putting the manual together, the playbook per yeah. se. Um, with DKA, that's the same exact thing we're doing right now. It's just trying to figure out how we can be skinny, lean, like efficient, um, have a manual for everybody. So everybody's position, they know what they're doing. Uh, construction can be a little bit tough because we're bidding. You can miss stuff on the bid. Sure. Material can constantly change. Right. So there's so many moving parts to it that it, you just constantly have to watch it, make sure you're buying the right stuff and uh, right price and everything like that. So that's right now for me, that's the same exact thing is just getting that manual in place, right? getting lean and being super efficient 
and just keep grinding. Just keep and I think hands. that's the, the different stages of growing a business to what it goes through, right? Back in the day, it was just you or you and a couple people, and you're doing everything. We got you, the job. You are everything, yep. right? You're yep. from the estimator to the to the accounting, like all the way around. And, and as businesses and really industry – in any industry grow, it'll get to a point that if you want to scale, if you don't want to be the mom and shop that does everything, you have to create these processes. You have to hire the right people, put them in the right seat. They have to have their playbook of what they're going to do so that you don't do it all. And, and Cade, like four or five years ago, let me, even three years ago, like there was no org chart within my company. If yeah. we, if there was one, again, there wasn't one, there would be like 14 people that were reporting toward just to me. And I was trying to be the man answering every single one of the questions and making all the answers. And that's not scalable. And it's not, it's not a quality of life that I wanted. And, and so us, as we brought on more of our leadership team, um, we got real specific on, all right, who do we want to be as a company? And um, how do we want, you know, what does that company look like three years, five years, 10 years down the road? And then we kind of work backwards from that. But if you can start hiring the right people and, and giving them the autonomy to make those decisions um, with the process, like we're talking about, that's yep. what's been the biggest change within my company. I can just speak for myself that now it's now it's like, wow, we've got a team that can actually handle it. And we're not perfect. Like we I mean, shit happens. You know, we're dealing with airplanes, and like I had an airplane today that the weather was bad, and we couldn't get in, and the, the owner's frustrated. And there's certain things that we can and cannot control, but if we focus on what we can control, and we're always looking to when we do mess up to to make it better. Yeah, and the business business wise, it's always evolving. Like like you were just saying, if you're small, you know, the positions are all me, and that's what it is. And as you start growing, it's not like you can hire every position. Right. If, if you're going to be like a $50 million company, you're going to have set positions for these people. But you can't start out at a million-dollar company and bring those people on in those positions unless you've got a bunch of capital that you want right. to burn up while you're trying to get work. So you're always just evolving as your company grows, and it's kind of that dollar amount. You know what I mean? If you go to the next step, you're going to need this right. and these people in place. Absolutely. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it can be a tough sport being an entrepreneur. But it's I wouldn't have it oh, any other way. Absolutely, and it and it's not for everybody. No, right? I'm. Um, I mean, you. I got short term memory. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's like it's a lot of work, but there's a lot of reward at the same yeah. time. You know, so like there's a lot of my friends. They're they're perfectly happy doing what they're doing, and they get a punch in, and when they're done, they punch out, and they don't have to think about work. Like we're thinking about work all the time. Like. When something goes wrong, our phone's going to ring at 3 in the morning, and, and we got to handle it. Yep. So. Like right now, thinking about work, just kind of <laughs> thinking about it. So um, I want to dive into the the uh, airplane repo. Yeah. Let's dive into that. Let's talk about some stories about uh, you being on TV and stuff like that. So the, the airplane repo one, unfortunately, I only did just the one episode because yeah. they knew that I was I had been involved with the Grumman Albatross and I knew the pilots. And, and so we um, we repossessed in quotation marks the, the Albatross. It was kind of a fun deal. Um, and so that that was a good experience. The dangerous repo or sorry, dangerous flights, rather, is the, the one that I did two seasons with. And I was always a lot more intimately involved in that one. And that one was just an incredible experience. Like I, I was still a, a fairly young pilot in experience and total time and whatnot, and I was um, able to fly with some of the most incredible pilots literally all over the world. Um, so I had an experience, still one of my best friends to this day, Pete Tecanino, he's a test pilot, won Reno Air Races multiple, multiple times, and I met him through that show, and, and we flew small airplanes all over. Like we picked one airplane up from... Um, well, we tried to get it out of Africa. We're in South Africa, had two emergency landings because the engine kept failing. That was an old piece of shit. So we <laughs> left it there, sold it, and, and just... You left it? Yeah. You just left it there and That sold was an airplane there. I bought. I was trying to bring it back for me, and, and they it just never worked right we kept burning up turbos every time we flew it so you're like f this it's exactly <laughs> keep yeah. it there sell it there yeah. get wrote, rid of it wrote that one off um there's another time um probably one of my most favorite trips was pete and i again and we flew this cessna caravan so it's a single engine 
turboprop, so it's like an eight to nine seater airplane, yeah. more of like a utilitarian, rugged airplane, you can land on dirt strips. We picked it up in um, New Orleans and then went all the way up over uh, the North Atlantic, so all the way up through New York, Montreal, Greenland, Iceland, um, Scotland. We went down and landed at. So on that trip, we landed at two of what Discovery Channel calls the 10 most dangerous runways. So one was in Sarsawak, Greenland, which is just intense. It's like you're landing in these small little canyons, and you got to get it right, and the weather changes all the time. Um, really crazy. How's the approach? Is it so is you have quick? Yeah, and you have one approach in, and, and you really want to land if you, if you – um, aren't able to land to the north, and you have to land to the south, you fly into the mountains, and to, to make the turn, it's pretty sketchy. Um, but then the, the even f- uh, more fun than that one is when we got down to, um, in Europe, we went to Courcheval. So I don't know if you've heard of Courcheval. Mm-mm. So it's in the French Alps. It's actually in um, in a ski resort, and it's a very, very short runway. So it's like, if I remember right, 2,000 feet, plus or minus. But most of the runways at a, almost a 19 degree angle. So you land, you touch down on the wheels, and then you, you're idle, and then you're back at full power on the wheels as you go up the runway to the top. So it's, it's one of the coolest runways I've ever landed at. And then the return, and what makes that runway so dangerous is the airplane count cannot outclimb the terrain. So there is no go around. You got one chance because you're, you, you're going to hit the mountain. Yeah. Yeah, on the way out, it's like a roller coaster. You're sitting there ready to take off, and you can't even see the runway in front of you because it just dips down. So it's pretty tense. So that was super cool. And that one, we went all the way down to Kenya, Africa. So from um, from Korsoval, we went down to um, – where did we go from there? We went down to Croatia, which was absolutely beautiful, um, then into Greece. Um, then to we had two stops in Egypt. We landed in South Sudan. That was sketchy. So – Discovery Channel, like it's so dangerous down there that they wouldn't even allow the directors to stay on the airplane. So they got off in Egypt and they airlined to Addis Ababa in Ethiopia where we were going next. And so just Pete and I were taking the airplane in. Um, and it, it, was, it was sketch. So we had to take on descent. We hit all the cameras. You just never know what's going to happen. Um, but we luckily got, oh, got gas and got out of there. If anybody listening to this dude is going to think this is just crazy. Yeah. This is crazy. So I got a funny story. Okay. Hopefully it's not too uh, gross. But so when we landed in South Sudan, um, my stomach, like, was just not feeling good from the food in in Egypt. And so we landed, and I had to pay the, what they call handler, just 100 bucks just to use the restroom. So, and I, like, did the waddle as fast as I could to, to the restroom, right? So I did my business, and I'm looking all around and, and there's there's no toilet paper i'm like what what the hell is going on and it's like this bucket and there's so um i won't tell you exactly what i did but then <laughs> i go back to the airplane and and pete looks at me and he's sitting there in the captain's chair and he's just smiling he's got this tupperware little box on his lap uh, and he toilet. opens it and he just pulls out this toilet paper and I'm like, you are such an asshole. And he's like, you should know we're below the teepee line. He's like, there's a, he's like, there's a lot of the countries south of the equator that they don't use toilet paper. So he's like, he's all tapping his fingers. He's so like, that's the teepee line. We we're below it. And he's like, uh, so what did you do? And I was <laughs> like, I lifted up, I lifted up my pants and I only had one sock on. And he just started laughing his ass off. So <laughs> it's, it's either the underwear or the sock. <laughs> it was disgusting. <laughs> but, so I learned my lesson. I carried, I carried my little, uh, uh, toilet paper with me <laughs> on these long ferry flights. What's the craziest place you've been to? Well, like most dangerous probably is South Sudan right there. Um, yeah. We've, but crazy, like we had some awesome, when we were down in um, Africa, we had some really cool off-field landings. Like we went and landed at this little tiny dirt strip in the middle of nowhere where literally we had to buzz it three times to get giraffes and all these wildlife off the runway. It was, it was pretty cool. Um, so that was, that was cool. Like domestically, some of the cool airports, um, South Lake Tahoe is absolutely gorgeous. You're flying the approaches all the way in over Lake Tahoe, and it's it's just stunning. Um, where else? Catalina Island. It's a cool cool runway to land at because it's like on 
on the bluff. And yeah. There's basically no margin for error. It's just 1,500 feet down to the ocean, rock cliffs on both sides. Um, yeah. Who, who was flying with you on uh, the dangerous flights when you had the fuel tanks in the plane? Um, so we did that a couple – I've had ferry, um, ferry tanks, what they call them, but I've had it in a couple different airplanes. So Randy was another captain I flew with a long, long time ago. and We did that in a little four-seater Cessna that we took to Poland. And then there was the very first episode we ever did. Was it a Bonanza? What was it? That one was a Cessna 206. Oh, okay. Um, the very first episode we did was a Merlin 3 to Australia. And we took out... And that a Merlin 3 is like a 10-passenger, big twin-engine turboprop. Yeah. We took out all the back seats behind us, and we had two massive aluminum fuel tanks in the back. Um, so we had about 2,400 pounds of fuel in, in the airplane, which is crazy to think. And then we had this little plywood thing with two Napa Auto Parts fuel filter or fuel pumps, rather, literally, that we had, that we had valves that we could turn on and off that would then pump the fuel into the tank. So it was, it was pretty sketch. Um, all FA approved, and we had to get all these waivers and whatnot to do it. But that was that was a fun trip. So we went from Southern Cal um, to Hawaii, stayed a couple of days. Hawaii down to the America Samoas, um, Pago Pago, um, stayed one night there. I got chased by wild dogs on my run in the jungle. <laughs> Probably the, one of the most scaredest I've ever been. Like these little skinny wild dogs were chasing me. It was freaking nuts. And then the next day we went uh, to New Caledonia, which was right by Fiji. Beautiful, like just a stunning little island. And then from there we went into um, Australia. So, and uh, Caledonia mm -hmm. is that where they shut down the airport on the? Is that the one where they supposedly shut um, down the airport? Gosh, they did. You're right. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. So, so we were and we checked all the notams. Is is all the um, is, is how all the notams are basically what we check before we fly to see if there's any notices that we need to know about, and and there wasn't any. But these legs were so long; there was about eight hours and fifteen minutes that we were in the air that they had shut down the runway without us knowing. So we're halfway there. We find out that the runway shut down, and so we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. Uh, we slowed the plane down. We were going to either go land at Fiji or turn around. Um, and then luckily they opened it up like just right before we landed. So that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Nerve wracking. Sometimes. Yeah. That one. Yeah. We're always looking you know, we try to, at least when we're flying is always have a backup plan yeah. and a backup plan for that plan. Um, so we were never in a life or death situation, but it's, it always intensifies it when it's not going according to plan. Yeah. Cause like fuel wise, did you have gauges on those tanks? No. So there's there's no gauges on them. So we just we're basically calculating our fuel burn the whole time, and so trying to figure out where they're how much fuel's in it. Yeah, yeah. Which so again, this is like you have to have special permits. They have to be approved by the FA. This is this is one time permits you do to move these airplanes. When we took that airplane, like our first takeoff out of, um, gosh, I'm trying to remember what town we were in in California. But we were 2,500 pounds overweight. So every airplane has, you know, weight limits, the, the, the gross max takeoff weight rating. And we're 2,500 pounds over that just because of all the fuel. Again, permitted, we're legal, but it's, it's like sketch a little bit. Well, and then it's hard to gauge your fuel depending on weight, right. altitude. It yeah. all varies and the all plane, changes it. Exactly right. The plane doesn't perform like it normally would. If yeah, it was, higher up. Yeah. Yeah, so that would be, dude, that'd be tough. Like, you'd have to constantly be monitoring it. Yeah. But I'm sure, like you, you said, you had, you know, you were making sure that you were had plenty of fuel regardless. Yeah, fuel is the one thing you always want. <laughs> yeah. How many places have you been to? Do you have count? Um, I mean, I've been to every state in the U.S. Do you have a map at your house where you're, no, like, pinning stuff? I should. Stuff? I should. I 30, it was either 32 or 34 countries. Yeah. And then... Um, every state in the U.S. But Pete, the guy I keep talking about, he's been to every country in the entire world except for one, Madagascar. He's flown privately to every country in the entire world. Like Serious? An animal, yeah. That is crazy. God, I want to I talk about the air race. Yeah. Dude, that was kind of a cool story. 
Did you watch this year's? I did not, no. I want to go out there. I want to go to the air races. So Pete was racing this year. and Was it earlier this year? So third week of September. Okay, so yes, this is, this is, oh, just a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. Something else happened again? Yeah, the, um, they were, so Pete's in the jet class. So these jets, are you guys familiar with the Reno races? So there's, there's like eight airplanes, and they run little small, small single-engine pistons to, like, the P-51 Mustangs is, like, the unlimited class. And then there's the jet class, which are old trainer, like, Warbird trainers. So L-29s, L-39s, I don't know if you're familiar with them. But um, I owned one of the race planes back in 15, and Pete and I were partners on it. He was flying it and racing it, and we won. So it was pretty cool. We won their races. The next year we went back, and our airplane looked. If you, if you Google De Havilland Vampire, it looks completely different than most what of them. What is it? De Havilland Vampire. Don't ask me how to spell De Havilland. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a. Most of them are like a, a tandem. Like the the two pilots are like this, and on the Vampire you'll see is a side by side with the weird tail. So, again, we won in 15. And Click in on it and bring a big. In 16, um, the right yeah, side of the windshield, the canopy broke at 550 miles an hour. The right side? Yeah, and so it's like you had a broken windshield going 500 miles an hour. And so he pulled up out of the racetrack and realized, okay, I've got control of the airplane. He slowed it down, you know, went to idle, and it's like, okay, i got control. And he went to turn to go yeah. Turn to go back to the runway yeah. and give it gas, and the engine had flamed out and couldn't get it restarted. My opinion is all the plexiglass ingested in the motor and took the motor out. Yeah. That's so a wild-looking plane. It is. I have one. I have one still that's, that needs to be restored. But So he crashed in the desert, like, but did the most beautiful crash landing, like kept the gear up and just slid it in. It's, if you go to NBC Sports Reno Air Races, like yeah. you can watch them. They got it on video, him crashing it. Could you see him go down? Yeah. Were you guys there? Well, the, what was scary is he was on the far side of the track, so he's probably five miles away from us. Yeah. And we knew he made it, and so I kept saying he's going down, and everybody's like, no, it's the other one. And, and they realized I was right, and all we see is this, like, what we thought was smoke, but it was all this dust. So his girlfriend starts crying, like everybody starts crying, and all, all the paramedics and fire trucks and everybody rushing out there. The race ended, just there was one lap left, and one of our buddies just raced over there, and we can hear all the racers talking to each other because we're in the pits. Yeah. And he goes, Pete's out of the jet. So now we're jumping up and down. We know he's alive. We have no idea, you know, if he's hurt or whatever, but he's out of the jet. Half an hour later, no shit, he comes back in this black suburban, they drop him off. He's got a shot of Jack Daniels because it's a tradition. If you survive a, a wreck at, at Reno, you drink a shot of Jack Daniels. Takes the shot, gives his girlfriend a big hug, comes and gives me a hug. He's like, I'm okay, but our jet's fucked. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I don't care. You're alive. Like it buckled the whole thing in half. Is that is it pre is that pretty fast? Yeah, that's six hundred. Um, I mean, up altitude six hundred miles an hour. But you're we're the, the, at the Reno Air Races. You're, you're low, aren't you? Fifty to two hundred fifty feet. Like you're right over the ground. But what was sad this year? If you Google Reno Air Races twenty twenty two, on Sunday, the first place jet that was right in front of Pete um, crashed and died. Are you serious? Yeah, big old fireball. It was horrible. It's like. Any of, any of those top ones, or to go down? Sorry, not that one. The one with the picture, the video. Live stream. Yeah. Jet crash. Yeah. It was so freaking sad. You were there. Yeah. So they canceled. They canceled, obviously, the rest of the races, and I mean, it was just a fireball. We think what happened. Is is he was about to get past? Yeah. Again, fifty feet off the ground, and he's supposed to go around this pylon. Again, that's just my theory. But he was cutting it, and I think he he was looking at the other guy. It was that jet right there? Um, and then he realized he was going to cut the pylon. If you cut the pylon, it's eight second penalty. So you basically take last place. So he turned real quick up over this guy, 
And then I think he turns so fast, violently back to get back into the race that yeah. they call it G-lock, where all the blood went out of his head and he fainted. Because if you watch it right here, like he's you're gonna see him, you're gonna see him do a hard right turn. Like he's gonna go, he's gonna go, oh shit! Like he peeled way out. Yeah. And now he's like, now he turns now he's wicked just back in, and then, and then watch, he just goes. See now he's right wicked there, in. And yeah. Now, and now, he, now he's out. We think because it's a controlled flight into terrain. I mean, just it was horrible. Oh my god. How many are in that race? Eight. Eight. Mm -hmm. How do they? How does some? How do you start a race in there? So they'll go out, um, and they'll all form up, and there's a pace plane. So the racetrack's here, and they'll go out about ten miles, and they'll they'll have the pace plane, and whoever qualifies best first to eight. Oh, okay. And then they'll come in, and the the pace plane's watching them, and and if they're all in line looking good, and he'll be barking. I'm like race 24, they call them race 28, race 15, whatever. Yeah. It's interesting. That's what they call their numbers. Like race 24 is P, like step it up or whatever. I mean, is that just gives me the chills? So then he'll line them all up, and they're they're about 600 feet off the ground. He'll take them down to about 200 feet off the ground, and go, gentlemen, you got a race, and he'll peel up, and then they're just going. Are they stacked? Are they are they stacked like staggered? Nope. Or so just all lined up. Just that fastest qualifier, or whatever has inside. Because he's got the inside. He gets the inside. Yeah. And so then it'll all kind of everybody kind of shuffles in, in the way that it goes. But if you go to Google NBC Sports Reno Air Race. NBC? Yeah. Sports. Reno Air Race. Do type. Is it here? Or? Let's try 16. And I think it's a four part series. So go to, or three of three, go to three of three. <coughs> and if I remember right, this is. And you probably have to kind of just scroll forward to the jet race. It's probably like halfway. Halfway to the jet race? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, keep going. Yeah, you just peel off and keep going. All right, leave it here. So that's my plan, right? What that? See the vampire? Watch yep. out, vampire! Yep. So here's he's going up. That's when that. Oh, uh, so what year is this? Twenty sixteen. Okay, yeah. So this is when he's mating right here. So that's. So he's up here just trying to figure out he's what he's going to do. Gain it, getting altitude so he can check out what the hell's going on. Yep. And reduces airspeed. He wins it, I believe, race number five. Yeah, Bandon won it. Averaging about six G's, so then he's out here. Let's see where we're at. Can you have headsets on as spectators? No, uh, so but you if you're in hear. the you, if you're in the jet pits where we sat for this race yeah you can hear it you can hear it was this where the canopy the right side canopy went in yeah so it's already broken he's got a wild seat cover on that thing it looks like one of those like rubber what's that bar behind his head 
emergency canopy release. So, so this is actually a vampire here, but it's the other vampire. See, and it was the right above the his right. So yep. on the right side is where it, what broke. So that's the other. Um, yeah, that's. And is that that's are all vampires side by side seating? Yeah. So that this is him crashing right here. Dude, that's a pretty smooth crash. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> two, floor, two floors going in the desert. So. It looks smooth, but I bet it wasn't. Oh, oh hell it was no. A dude. Hell of a ride. Especially. But so, like, all we know is he crashed, and. Especially as the speed starts getting slower, you're going to start kind of wanting to tumble. Uh, dude, I. This was fun. I appreciate you coming on, dude. Thanks for having me, kid. It's it, awesome. It means a lot, dude. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Hell yeah. Cool.